Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome, everyone. This is Rachel Hutchison, and I have the honor and pleasure of leading corporate social responsibility at Blackboard. Welcome to today's SG Engage podcast on the lost art of connecting. We're here today with Susan McPherson, who is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies and an author about a book, a book about connecting called, you guessed it, The Lost Art of Connecting. So I met Susan a long time ago, and I'm really pleased to have you with us today. So welcome. Thank you, Rachel. It is so good to hear your voice. You know, I wish we could do this in person. I wish I missed seeing you. So um, you know that I love this um, this topic area. And and before we dive in, I'll say that you and I actually met online way yeah. back when. Yeah. Uh, we connected virtually way before that was something that everybody had to do. And I remember first meeting you in person and thinking, I already know this person. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we're here today to talk about you, your book, all of this. But first, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Wow. Well, thank you. And again, thank you for inviting me to join you. And years ago, I got to actually um, join you on this podcast. So um, maybe a few folks might, might remember. But as mentioned, I run a social impact uh, communications consulting firm. Um, we are now almost eight years old, and it's called McPherson Strategies. And I often say at this point, I've had nine lives. But over this past month, I had to alter that to 10 lives because I'm now the author of a book, which I still find almost humorous to say, um, because it is it, it, it is not an easy thing to do. Uh, I will say that. But it was a joy being able to put it out in the world a passion of mine that I have had since I was knee-high to a hopper. And for those of you who have met me, I'm still knee-high to a hopper. But the book is all about the the joy and the way to build meaningful relationships in our lives, both professionally and personally, and then all the magic that ensues from doing so. So let's just start with the obvious question. So how did you get to be such a prolific networker? How did this become such a big part of you? Was it always there or was it something that unfolded over time? (laughs) Absolutely always there. And I do want to just quickly delineate the difference between meaningfully connecting and networking Um, because I do see them as two different things. And for introverts and shy people, meaningful connecting is actually a little bit more tolerable and palatable and doable. Networking, I feel, is is very transactional. I feel it is very one-to-many. Building meaningful relationships is is one-to-one, maybe one-to-two, and relationships that last the course of time that maybe ebb and flow, but that think of people who show up in the good times and the bad and, and literally are, are deep rather than broad. That's so interesting because I blend the two, but I think that's because I believe relationships are everything. So for me, networking is about relationships, but I can see how it wouldn't necessarily be that for everyone. Yes. Well, and I will dive into your question in one sec, but the underlying theme of the entire book is always leading with how can I be of help rather than what I can get? And I think sometimes the mindset when we go into quote unquote networking mode is get give me, 
help me, support me? What's going to get me to that next level? What's going to get me to that board seat? What is going to get me that funding? And what I put forth is this notion that if we lead with how we can be helpful to others, the help will come back. So I grew up in a household all the way back in the late 60s, early 70s, in a tiny little town in upstate New York, where I was the child of two parents, well, yeah, obviously, um, but that their entire lives were built on meaningful connections and relationships, even to the point where every morning at the breakfast table, there would be the five local newspapers and yesterday's New York Times, because the New York Times, of course, would come the next day to upstate New York. And they would be sitting there literally clipping and cutting articles that made them think of colleagues. In my father's case, former students or current students. My dad was a professor for close to 40 years at a woman's college. My mother would be clipping articles that would make her think of reporters she knew because she did PR for public television. They would then go to their respective typewriters, manual typewriters, mind you, and literally type little missives saying, thinking of you. Cousin Harry, thinking of you, reporter John, thinking of you, former student Joan. And they would keep the U.S. Postal Service in business. And I assumed everybody's parents did that. So I have to say, um, this was definitely in my blood. And in the mid-90s, when I literally, like all of us who were professionally, coming of age professionally, um, got to use the internet to actually do what they were doing much more efficiently, much faster, and do you know, be able to connect four or five people with one email and an article saying, this makes me think of all of you and here's why. And the four of you need to meet because blah, blah, blah. So I guess that's a long-winded answer to your question. This was definitely in my blood. <laughs> I think that's such a wonderful story, Susan. And, oh, and it does you. make me think a little bit about my parents. My father was also a professor. I love and my mother. Um, I had a good friend whose whose mother worked at the newspaper, and he and I used to joke that we were the only two people in college who would constantly get the news clippings from the local paper from our parents. <laughs> like, you need I to know it. this. Um, but I think that's wonderful. And, and you're right, the internet has really allowed us to open that up. Yes, um, yes. In a way, if it's used well. Um, yeah, yeah. If it's used well, but but it really has. And and I love that. I also just have to say, I really love the whole concept in your book about leading from how you can be helpful yeah. um, for those of us. I think you and I connected initially, gosh, it must have been about eight or yeah. nine years ago now on that concept of social good about not just giving and volunteering, but really having social good at the heart of all that you do. And I love that it's at the heart of your book. So what is the secret or is there a key to building a truly successful network of meaningful connections? Well, I do have a methodology in the book um, that I would highly encourage people who want to either improve their skills of building meaningful relationships or really don't know where to begin. And I honestly think there is no better time than now, given we are living in this kind of weird vortex. I call it almost purgatory because, you know, people are getting vaccinated. We have one toe out the door, but the rest of us remain inside. And, you know, for those of us who live in, you know, apartment buildings where here's the greatest analogy I can think of when a neighbor orders really aromatic food, whether it's Thai or Indian or Chinese and the smells are so good, but guess what? You don't get any. So uh, jokes aside, this is a perfect opportunity to start the, the first phase of, of the three gather, ask, do, and you'll see why. 
during the gather phase, the first and most important question to ask yourself is, what is a meaningful connection to you? Because it may be very different for every single one of us. And, and certainly for Rachel, you, it may be different. Something tells me it's very similar for both of us, but for me, it's the people who show up in good and bad. The, the next part of the, of the gather phase is to really intentionally think about the community communities you want to build around you to help you meet your goals, whether those goals are over four years, four months, or even four weeks. And how are you going to ensure that that community or communities don't look like you, sound like you, the same age as you, the same color as you? In other words, how are you going to build in inclusivity and diversity? And lastly, as part of the gather phase, you need to look in, inwards and determine what are your superpowers? What are your chief differentiating factors that you can offer up to those in your community or communities or to people you want to meet? So once you do that, you can go to the ask phase. And the ask phase is a little bit different of what we normally think of ask. And certainly as women, when we ask for what we want, what we deserve, what, what we need, and I'm not suggesting we don't do that. But in this case, the ask phase is very much about asking the meaningful questions of others so that we can learn more about where they're at, what their hopes and dreams are, what their challenges are. And if we listen very carefully, which we are woefully bad at doing, but if we do, we can then get to the phase that I love the most, and that is the do phase. And that means when you take that data that you listen to, not just heard, but listen to, about someone's hopes and dreams or, or, or challenges or requests, you have all the data you need to be helpful, responsible, reliable, and the all-important trustworthy. So that's essentially the, the methodology that I suggest can, that can be used to help you really, you know, not just one and done, but something you can utilize throughout your career. Um, and I will go so far as say, I do think in this, this, like the next few months, this is a perfect time to do this because we almost have a do-over opportunity to really be intentional about building those communities around us and also reaching back out to people that perhaps we've lost touch with. So I think what you said that was so interesting there is that that flow from gather, resetting what we think about as ask, yeah. and then getting to do and really that you're moving from one to the other. Because I can think of situations in my own life and others I've observed where you go directly from the ask to the do, yeah. and you don't do the you don't do the ask and then in the middle, right? And you don't really hear the context of what that other person needs or even feels. So your do is, is off base. You do yeah. the wrong thing. You hit the wrong way. That's really fascinating. So is there work that people need to do themselves introspectively first before setting out to build this kind of connected network? Sure. Where do you start with them? Well, I think, you know, again, in the gather phase, it is a lot of deep reflection. And I find certainly young folks coming out of college or People who are, you know, literally, you know, maybe approaching retirement often feel they don't have something to offer. They don't have something to give. And I suggest that, you know, you do the deep reflection to start thinking about that because every single one of us has secret sauce. Sizz, notice I say sizz. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I also suggest, you know, when people say, oh, gee, I don't have anything to offer, ask the people around you, ask the people that are friends of yours cousins, family members, your dog, but really 
you know, sometimes we need more than looking in the mirror to help us figure it out. I also think start from the people you know, because it is totally appropriate to ask people that you have good relationships with for introductions to others when you are trying to add diversity, when you're trying to add to to expand your community to beyond just those that look like you. Um, There's nothing wrong with asking. And it's an important question to ask because we all need to make our communities more diverse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's something we need to be intentional about, even if we think we already are intentional. We need to push ourselves to be more intentional and to look around and really identify and call out the systems that that we've just adopted that that are not as inclusive as they should be. And we all have them. To say that you're without them is... Is no, just no, and I, I, don't think. I absolutely don't absolve myself from any of this. Um, the same with listening. I mean, I think one of the, the things I really learned or I was surprised by, I mean, I always knew, we, you know, humans are, are notoriously bad about listening, but I didn't realize just how bad. And then, <laughs> and then this past year, what we were, you know, literally what we're expecting people to be able to listen when the distractions are beyond enormous. I mean, just think about when we're in Zoom meetings or Microsoft team meetings, think of, you know, you have 19 other apps running. You have, many of us have children at our feet, pets, you know, jumping on us. So how the hell are we expected to listen? Yeah, the UPS person rings the doorbell, the dog starts barking, (laughs) you're starting a podcast recording, (laughs) all the stuff is happening at once. Oh, and then the internet drops. Yeah. Like it's all (laughs) happening at the same time. It has, I think we have more empathy for each other though, and seeing kind of the windows into each other's homes and realizing that. But um, well, this is, this is another part of the, you know, we have to be more vulnerable. We have to be more open if we expect others to be. And, you know, the book is a business book. So I make a a huge play or statement that I believe it is up to leaders of companies and nonprofits and foundations to set the stage so employees can feel open and safe to be vulnerable and safe to be who they truly are. Um, Because you can't expect people to be feeling that comfortable if you're not leading with that intentionality. And Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, Studies show that when you have a workforce and employees who are meaningfully connected and actually are friends, they are far more likely to be productive, to stay at the company longer, to literally get others to join the company. So, you know, this is not, this is often pushed off as a soft skill um, or a like, oh, we'll deal with this at happy hour. And I really, I, I, want leaders to understand that this actually is going to enhance the the company and help the company grow by making space for this. Yeah, for sure. So what do you do with the naysayers, with the people who say, I really don't see the need to do this. I don't really need to make any more connections. What would you say to them to convince them that this really is something that we should all be thinking about? Well, I mean, you know, you're never going to be able to convince all people. I think what you have to be able to do is is demonstrate the magic that happens when you connect people. And sometimes you actually don't realize it until you see it. I have a, a, a story in the book that I share that was actually remarkable to me and actually helped me stop having um, preconceived notions that we all do all the time. Back in 2017, I received an email from a, a friend who said, Susan, can you help my my friend Brant, who is a filmmaker, to get into a refugee camp tomorrow in Greece? 
And it was 2.45 in the afternoon, emails flying, phones ringing. And for context, for listeners, one of the boards I serve on is the U.S. arm of the U.N. High Commission for Refugees. So it wasn't completely from left field. However, two assumptions popped in my brain. One, the last thing the world needs is another documentary film to, that no one's going to want to see or no one is going to see. Um, and two, it really isn't easy to get into a refugee camp the next day, especially in Greece at the time of you know, the, the, the Syrian refugee crisis. Assumptions aside, I had seven minutes. So I thought, you know what, I'll make a few calls. I was able to get Brandt into the refugee camp the next day. And lo and behold, I learned a week later that he was actually a big budget Hollywood film producer and had done multiple Tom Cruise films. So what my first assumption was way off. Secondly, in that experience, he became enamored with the cause of refugees. A month later, I got a call from a a dear friend who is an advisor to the NGO CARE. And she said, Susan, do you happen to know a filmmaker by chance, Annie, who might be able to go and spend 10 days to two weeks on the Syrian border at the Azraq refugee camp to teach Syrian youth how to make films, to tell the harrowing story of their escape? Guess what? I had the connection. Not only did Brandt agree to go, he brought eight Hollywood film directors with them And they spent almost two weeks on the ground in this camp teaching Syrian youth to be able to tell their powerful stories via film. Because of that, the Epic Foundation created an actual film academy in the camp to continue these teachings. Wait, there's more. Brandt went on to raise millions and millions of dollars for UNICEF, UNHCR, CARE. Wait, there's more. He created a narrative feature film that Angelina Jolie happened to see and was so enamored by the film that she has been taking it to world leaders since, which again helps keep the very important message alive that there are 88 million people on this planet who are displaced. So I don't want to take credit for all that happening, but if I had listened to my assumptions and not made those phone calls, some of that might not have happened. So what I learned from that experience and is something thankfully that I think I carry with me is everyone is deserving of our attention, our attention, and everyone has something to offer. Everyone has connections. Everyone has stories that if we open ourselves up to listening, to learning, to meeting, we are going to learn so much more, not only about them, about their stories, but something about ourselves as well. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And I actually want to pass this book along to my son who is working in AmeriCorps right now, working with refugees. That's really his passion. Um, but, But what I love about that story that you just unfolded and where you even started at the beginning of this conversation about not being transactional about what you're going to get from a networking versus what you can leading with how you can help is that it's the pay it forward kind of philosophy that you know, I believe that if you meet someone new and you connect with them, you don't have to have even a reason or an outcome that no. you're looking for. You're just connecting with them. And somehow in the future, you know that there will be something good that follows. Um, and you don't have to know what it is. And it's so wonderful to see that magic of things unfolding. Absolutely. Really wonderful. That's a really great example. So we could talk for a really long time because I have a deep respect for all the work that you've been doing for years and years and years, working with businesses and brands and, you know, always carrying social good and and meaning and always having, you know, that 
very deeply personal connection idea at the heart of your work. It's very obvious for anyone who interacts with you. But I want to close by sharing with our listening audience on this podcast where they can learn more. If, if they're interested in all that you've been talking about today, where could they get a copy of the book and where could they learn more so that they can continue their own paths? Well, first of all, thank you again, Rachel. And honestly, uh, to be continued because we have we could talk for hours. And I, <laughs> Maybe in person next time. Yes, 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 yes. And I so respect the work that you do, that BlackBot has done and the good that, that you all put out in the world. Um, you can find more about me at McPherson Strategies. I can be found on all the interwebs at Susan McPhee One. I encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn and really connect, not just, you know, not just network. Pardon? Don't go in with the get. <laughs> <laughs> which, which so many people do. And I would suggest yeah. when you do reach out to people on LinkedIn, offer to help before asking for something. Believe me, people will be so much more likely to help you. And lastly, the book can be found at anywhere you choose to buy your books, whether it's a local bookstore that you are trying to support or any of the online retailers. So I would suggest just do what's easiest for you. And, um, and of course, I would love feedback on the book and how you are going about becoming a better connector through some of the ethos that I share. So just for clarity, the, the actual official name of the book is The Lost Art of Connecting by Susan McPherson. I do recommend it. I've read it. I think it's wonderful and, and very um, easy to absorb. And I know you said it's a business book, but it, it had a lot more, um, I want to say an empathy and an emotion to it that you yes. don't necessarily always find in business books. So I thought it was really wonderful. So Susan, thank you so much for taking time today to share with us just a little bit of your magic and your guidance and wisdom. It's been really wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you, Rachel. So to the SG Engage podcast audience, I want to say thank you for joining us for another episode. Please check out all of our episodes in our library and hope you have a great rest of the day. This is Rachel Hutchison signing off.